Psalm 121. If you're feeling lucky, have a look at the middle of your Bible. If you're not, page 622. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Before we look at God's word, let's pray together. Father God in heaven, we come before you as your people this morning with many needs. And so, Father God, as we look at your word together, we pray that you would show us something of your love for us, something of your great provision for us. Father, we pray that you would show us your purposes, good purposes for us. And yet, Father, we confess this morning, whether we know it or not, our greatest need is to see the glory of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would be at work, that he would give us eyes to see, that he would give us ears to hear, that he would give us soft hearts which listen, consider, and respond to your word this morning. Father, we pray for your help in all these things. And Father, we pray too for Colin this morning, uh, preaching in Wales, and we ask that you would extend your kingdom and encourage your people through his words there this morning as well. But Father, be with us, bless us, exalt your Son amongst us, we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my sermon text this morning is Psalm 121, and the sermon title is God, our Helper and our Protector. Our Helper and our Protector. Help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Help, you know I need someone. Help. Well, I'm sure many of you recognize the quotation. That's what the Beatles sang in 1965. Some of you remember it well, I'm sure. But when we're at our wisest, we can identify with the Beatles. Often we like to kid ourselves. Often we like to think that we are wise, that we're strong, that we're independent, that we're capable people. And yet the reality is so often different. In fact, fundamentally, the reality is different. In reality, you and I are often foolish, weak, dependent, and incapable. We're mortal, we're frail, we're fallen, we're broken, we're sinful and often we are hurting. And that's true of ourselves, but also we live in a fallen, a broken, a sinful, a hurting, and a threatening world. We, like the Beatles, need help. We need help with our families. We need help with our colleagues. We need help with our health. We need help with our emotions. We need help with our finances. We need help in our ungodliness. We need help with our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
We need help in life. We need help in death. We need help in all our circumstances. We need help. But thankfully, Psalm 121 teaches us about a God who is our helper, about a God who is also our protector. Well, Psalm 121, we're told right at the beginning of the psalm, is a song of ascents. It's a song that God's people originally sang when they were going up, when they were ascending. That means it was a psalm used by pilgrims. As pilgrims journeyed up to Jerusalem for the annual feasts that were held there, it was a song that was used to encourage during those pilgrimages up to Jerusalem. And so Psalm 121 is a psalm of encouragement in face of difficulties. And it's a psalm that should encourage us as well as we journey through life, as we journey into and through difficult circumstances, this psalm is an encouragement to us as well. So two simple points this morning. And the first one is God is our helper, verses 1 and 2. God is our helper. I lift up the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So we can, we can envisage the psalmist on a journey. He's going to Jerusalem. And he looks ahead, he looks up, and he sees hills or mountains. And there's something about that view, something about that vista that makes him realize that he needs help. He looks at the mountains and perhaps he sees the potential dangers there. Maybe he's concerned about the terrain, the nature of the paths that take him through to Jerusalem. The, the prospect of, of, fall, of rocks falling, of, of narrow paths and so on, of, of narrow gorges. Maybe that is of concern to him. Maybe he's thinking about the animals that he might encounter on the way. Maybe he's thinking about outlaws, robbers, who may come and uh, attempt to steal or to rob from him on the journey. Perhaps he's simply thinking about the weather, the extreme weather of the Near East, the, the, the hot sun or the cold at night. He's concerned though. Or perhaps he looks into the distance and he sees the hill that Jerusalem is sitting on. He looks into the distance and he realizes that he still has a long way to go on his journey. He looks, Jerusalem is in the far distance, and he despairs of completing his journey successfully. Whatever reason, whatever reason leads him to be concerned, it, it seems that that look to the mountains prompts the psalmist to ask who is going to help him in his circumstances. The psalmist acknowledges that he needs help to complete his journey safely. He's worried. He feels vulnerable, fragile, unsafe. He needs help in his circumstances. And so he asks himself, where does my help come from? Well, circumstances often lead us to ask, who is going to help us? Who is going to help me where I am at in life? 
Who's going to help me in, in ill health, whether that's ourselves or ill health of loved ones? Who's going to help us in the, the financial difficulties that we're facing? Who's going to help us with that job loss or problems with our children or, or with our parents or in relationship breakdown? Who's going to help us with problems in church? Who's going to help us in bereavement? Perhaps this morning you're sitting there and you've been faced with this question. You've been asking in difficult circumstances, where does my help come from? An American writer with the wonderful name of Marshall Seagal, definitely American, Marshall Seagal, he says this, Our road to heaven, to the new Jerusalem, is much longer than the dozens of miles that Jewish pilgrims walked, and no less treacherous. We carry God's promises with us, but life still often feels desperate and uncertain. Temptation hides and strikes Trials ambush us and our loved ones. Besetting sin lingers. Disaster and crises come unannounced. We feel our need for help and for keeping. So the psalmist asks this question. And what does he say in response? He says, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The psalmist asks and then answers his own question. He reminds himself that the Lord, the Lord God, that Yahweh is his helper. The psalmist reminds himself that the one who will help him is the one who has made heaven and earth. Perhaps we could paraphrase what the psalmist is saying to himself this way. He's saying something like this. If the Lord has the power to make heaven and earth from nothing simply by his word, if the Lord has the power to keep all the universe going, to sustain the whole universe, then how much more is my God, my Lord, able to help me in my personal troubles and challenges? We have a God who has created the universe, who sustains the universe, and these things demonstrate for us the power of the one who is able and willing to help us in our hour of need. This is our God. This is the one who loves us and cares for us and provides for us. He is the one who will help us when circumstances threaten to overwhelm us. Our God is the one with the power, the wisdom, the love, the grace, the kindness to help us in our hour of need. And as New Testament Christians, we know this God, not simply as our powerful, all-knowing, all-wise Lord, we know this God as our loving, heavenly Father. Marshall Seagull, once again, he writes, The Lord can keep you, because there is nothing that this God cannot do. No crisis or circumstance can overwhelm him. He is never surprised or shaken. He made all things, sustains all things, rules all things, including every detail of our lives, even on the most difficult days. No hill is too high or night too dark for him. 
When what you can see only screams anxiety, see the strength of the power in all he has made. Surely the God who made the mountains is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. So this morning, brothers and sisters, just let this psalm very simply remind us that we have an all-wise, all-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful Father in heaven. Ultimately, we have nothing to fear in any circumstance because our Father is with us in it and through it. It's an easy thing for our Father, the maker of the heavens and the earth, to help us in difficult circumstances. Nothing is beyond his capability. Psalm 46 verse 1 says that God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Psalm 118 verses 6 and 7 say, The Lord is with me, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me, he is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. And this morning, if you're a Christian, as New Testament believers, we have the Holy Spirit who lives with us and in us. And he is our constant advocate or our helper, we are told by the Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 14. Just two more quick things to say here. Do you see how the psalmist in these verses asks and then answers his own question? He poses the question to himself and then he uses his biblical knowledge to answer his own question. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So the psalmist here, he talks to himself. Better, he preaches Bible truth to himself. In the middle of difficult circumstances, the psalmist reminds himself of biblical truths and biblical promises. And that's a practice that each and every one of us needs to undertake as well. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the 20th century Welsh preacher said, Have you realised most, that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. He was saying that as God's people, we need to stop listening to our hearts. We need to start preaching to our hearts. Take those biblical truths. Remind themselves of you. Don't listen to our doubts and our fears, our anxieties. Take God's word and remind ourselves of them. Day by day. So when circumstances threaten us this week, we might be tempted to ask, where does my help come from? And we should answer our own questions using the truth of the Bible. Say to yourself, let's say to ourselves, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Say it out loud this week, wherever you are, whenever you're tempted to fear. What does it matter if people think we're a little crazy? They think that of us already. 
Just remind yourself of these biblical truths. And let's remind ourselves to look in the right places for help or support in the uh, middle of difficulties. So often, prayer is our last port of call in difficulties. And yet, it should always be the first. Let's look to the Lord. Let's look to the Lord to help us in trials. I think I've said quite recently, one of the purposes that the Lord allows trials into our life is that we might depend upon Him more. So let's not squander learning difficulties. If we are in difficult circumstances, let's use them as an opportunity to exercise our faith in Him, to grow more and more dependent upon the Lord. So number one then, that, that God is our helper. Number two, God is our protector. That's the rest of the psalm, verses 3 to 8. In these verses, the key phrase is watch over. Watch over. In Hebrew, the word is used six times in verses 3 to 8. If you've got the latest NIV, the word is translated watch over five times and keep once in those verses. Let me read them to you just to make the point. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. So if you're a Christian here this morning, be assured that the Lord watches over you. The word means to protect or to guard or to keep or to preserve or to tend to something. It means to watch over in the sense, not simply to look at, but to intervene if necessary. The same word in the Hebrew is used in Genesis 2, verse 15. In in Genesis 2, verse 15, the Lord commands Adam to take care of, to keep, to watch over, or to tend the garden of Eden. So, So Adam is to tend the garden, to to cultivate it, to watch over it, to take responsibility for it. And in the same way, our God watches over, he tends, he cares for, he guards us as his people. Our God is not watching over us from afar. Our God has an intimate interest in our lives as his people. And we might ask this morning, well, to what extent does the Lord watch over us? And from these verses, we can glean that our Lord watches over us 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Our God watches over us all year round. We're told in verses 3 and 4, He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Now apparently the Canaanites, they believed that in the winter their gods slept. That's why they believed that vegetation and crops ceased growing 
in the winter, that their gods were asleep, uh, and that's why the crops stopped growing. And some of us will remember the prophet Elijah, who was on Mount Carmel, and how he mocked the prophets of Baal. Baal was failing to act in the situation, and, and Elijah mocked the prophets of Baal. He asked whether Baal was failing to act because he might possibly be asleep. And yet this psalm tells us that the true and living God never sleeps. He never slumbers. He's never caught asleep while on duty. He's always vigilant. He's always tending to us as his people. The Lord watches over us by day and by night. Verse 6, the sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. I don't know about you, but sometimes isn't it true that it's at night that our troubles seem to grow in our minds most strongly? We're, we're perhaps alone and it's quiet and it's dark and we have, we have time to think or maybe to overthink for some of us. And yet these verses remind us that by day and by night, our Lord is watching over us. And then in verse 8, we're reminded that our God is watching over us in our daily activities, in our coming and going, it says in verse 8. This week, for some of us, we've had some holiday over Easter. That's lovely, and we're back to the humdrum routine, daily chores. And yet verse 8 reminds us that even in these daily chores, these daily routines, the, the responsibilities and tasks of life, our God watches over us, watches over our coming and going. He's close to us. He's at our right hand, verse 5. And he will watch over us for all eternity. Verse 8 says that he will watch over us both now and forevermore. There never will be a time when we are removed from our good God's providential care over us and for us. Warren Wisby, the, the late pastor and preacher, said, We need not fear life or death, today or tomorrow, time or eternity, for we are in the loving care of the Father. We can never escape our God's loving care, and why would we want to? Well, John Patton was a 19th century Scottish pioneer missionary and he took the gospel to some uh, pacific islands the other side of the world from scotland these islands were first or first by europeans called the new hebrides now they are called vanuatu john Patton went to these islands he, he set up a home he, he created a shed to live in where he did his missionary work from but often the natives would come to him at night seeking to kill him, or at least to, to scare him off the island. And he would resort to hiding up a tree. don't know if uh, Wangui or Pete have, have got to that extent yet, but that's what he did. He hid up a tree, Genu generally, genuinely rather fearful for his life. And later on, he reflected on one occurrence of hiding up a tree, fearing for his life. He wrote... Whilst I was in that situation, my, my heart rose up to the Lord Jesus. I saw him watching all the scene. My peace came back to me like a wave from God. I realized that I was immortal 
till my master's work with me was done. The assurance came to me as if a voice out of heaven had spoken that not a musket would be fired to wound us, not a club prevail to strike us, not a spear leave the hand in which it was held, vibrating to be thrown, not an arrow leave the bow or a killing stone the fingers, without the permission of Jesus Christ, whose is all power in heaven and on earth. He rules all nature, animate and inanimate, and restrains even the savage of the south seas. See, John Patton knew his God. He knew our God, a God who watches over us and uses all power in heaven and on earth to protect us as his people. And so we should be comforted. I would imagine that none of us are going to face circumstances like John Patton, but all of us are going to, to face dark circumstances in our lives at some stage. And even in our darkest moments, perhaps especially in our darkest moments, our God is watching over us. He's tending us. He's guarding us. He's caring for us. Well, I want to finish this morning by looking at a hard verse or a hard verse potentially. I don't mean it's hard to understand intellectually. There are verses like that in the Bible. But by hard, I mean it's hard for us in our frailty, in our fallenness, so often to actually believe this verse, to believe that it's true. Look at verse 7 in Psalm 121. In verse 7 it says, The Lord will keep you from all harm. The Lord will keep you from all harm. Well, on the face of it, it seems to suggest that, that our God is not going to let anything happen to his people which is painful or hurtful or destructive. Our God will keep us from all harm. That's what it says. He will protect us from every difficult circumstance, every painful problem, every trial. We won't experience things we might interpret that, that verse as saying. Verse 3 says that our Lord will not let our feet slip. It sounds like that he'll protect us from the effects of living in this fallen and sinful world. And we might be tempted this morning to, to ask, is this verse really true? Is the Lord really going to keep me from all harm? You might be sitting there thinking, this doesn't really tally with my experience. Uh, I am a Christian but I really have experienced harm in my life. How can I take this verse seriously? Some of us have experienced serious illness, cancer maybe. Some of us have experienced bereavement or, or troubled children or troubled parents. Some of us have experienced bankruptcy or, or mental illness or marriage breakdown, the loss of a home. How can this psalm really claim that the Lord will keep us from all harm? Well, let me suggest this solution this morning. And I don't want to be glib with any of us. I don't want to minimize the very real pain that, that you may have experienced, that you may be experiencing right now. But the Lord promises that whatever experiences we encounter now, they will not 
ultimately harm us. Whatever experiences we encounter now will not ultimately harm us. In fact, just the opposite is the case. Because the Bible tells us that every circumstance that the Lord decrees for my life and for your life, in your life, every circumstance, including the painful and difficult ones, is not for our ultimate harm. In fact, every circumstance that we encounter is part of God's loving, merciful plan for us. Perhaps we could put it this way. Circumstances may hurt us, but they will not ultimately harm us. Many of us know Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So even the most painful circumstance decreed by the Lord in our lives will not ultimately harm us. They will ultimately help us. They will help us to become more like Jesus. They will help us to love him more, to trust him more, and to depend on the Lord more and more. There's not a circumstance in our lives that can, can penetrate through to our lives, not a circumstance that can penetrate through to us without having its poison removed by the shade of the purposes and presence, presence of God on my right hand, says one writer. So for the Christian, even the most painful circumstance is not designed by the Lord to harm us because its poison has been removed. We sang these words earlier. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all-sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee. I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. So nothing can harm us ultimately. Absolutely nothing for the Christian. But what about death, you might say? That seems pretty harmful to me. And yet we remind ourselves, we have reminded ourselves over the last fortnight that because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, even death has lost its sting. For the Christian, death is now the gateway to eternal life in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Finally this morning, see how this psalm is fulfilled in and by the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm thinking particularly of verse 5 here. Verse 5 says that the Lord is your shade at your right hand. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. For God's people, Christ is the shade. He's our shade. He's our protection. He's the one who protects our life and our soul. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one who protects us. He shades us, we might say, from God himself in a sense. How so? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ protects us from God's fair and just and holy anger 
against our sin. Let me talk to you very briefly this morning if you are not a Christian. Because if you're not a Christian this morning, if you're, we might say, outside of Christ, the Bible says that you are in great danger. As Christians, if you're not a Christian amongst us this morning, we love having you here. And one of the reasons we love having you here is that we want to share with you some, some bad news, that we might share with you some good news as well. But the Bible does say that if we're outside of Christ, if we're not a Christian, then we are in great, great danger. There's a sense this morning in which God loves every one of us in this room. Our God loves everyone, everything that he has made. And yet at the same time, the Bible says that if you're not a Christian this morning, you stand condemned. That God is angry with you, that you are under his judgment. The Bible says that you're under God's condemnation for your sin. He's angry towards you. He, he's fair and he's just and he's holy. And he's angry towards you for your sin, for your wrongdoing, for your rebellion so far in your life towards him. And the Bible tells us that because God is a perfect and good and righteous God, then one day he must do what is right. He must pronounce his sentence upon wrongdoers, upon you if you're not a Christian. And the sentence for rebelling against an infinitely holy God is infinite punishment away from him. Because if we're not Christians, then we are rebels. And we are choosing to live our life our way and not his. And to put it in the words of this psalm, if you're not a Christian here this morning, you have no protection from God's just anger, his right anger, his fair anger against our wrongdoing. You have no hope of protection. You have no shade from him. And one day, the Bible tells us, apart from Jesus, we will receive what we deserve for our rebellion against God. And yet this psalm assures us that there is an alternative way. There is an alternative for Christians. There is an alternative for all who trust in Christ and his work on the cross. For all who turn from their sin and turn to Christ in faith. Because for those of us who are Christians here this morning, Jesus is our shade. He is our protection. He protects us now and he will protect us against God's righteous anger towards all that is wrong, all that is sinful, all that is, that is wrong in us and in our lives. So we're told in the Bible that when Jesus died, he died in the place of his people, of sinners like you and like me. That Christ took the punishment for our sin so that God's anger against our sin might be placed on him and so removed from us. It might be turned aside. Christ has shielded us. He's shaded us. He's protected us from the fair and just and right anger of our holy God against the sin of his people. And our Lord Jesus Christ did it so that we might escape eternal harm 
and that we might enjoy eternity in his presence. And so let me ask you this morning, is God your help and your protector? God is helper and protector of all who trust in Christ, but only of those who trust in Christ. Does that include you? Have you asked Jesus to forgive you through his work on the cross? Have you committed yourself to him? Are you a Christian? Well, the final word goes to John Patton, back up, hiding in the branches of his tree. He challenges us, he challenges me and you, he says, if thus, if in the same way that I was on that occasion, if thus thrown back upon your own soul, alone, all alone in the midnight, in the bush, in the very embrace of death itself, have you a friend that will not fail you then? Do you have Jesus as your helper and your protector? If so, then you also have a friend who will never, ever fail you. Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to bless us and to help us to grow in our dependence upon him. Help us to understand these things and that Christ is our shade. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for every blessing that we enjoy as your people. The blessing of having a helper and a protector who is with us constantly and forevermore. And Father, we thank you for that grace. We, we don't deserve such a God. We don't deserve your presence with us. And yet, Father, in your grace and your mercy and your love for us, you have promised us this. And we, we take you at your word. Help us to trust you and to obey you. And Father, it is the prayer of myself and many in this room this morning that if there are people here who are yet to commit themselves to Christ, to turn to him for forgiveness. Father, help them to understand the predicament that they're in. Not because we want people to be scared just for the sake of it, Father, but we want them to see the gravity of their situation and to flee from it and to flee to Christ, flee to the cross, flee to that shade and that protection. So, Father, help us in these things, we pray. Glorify Christ and bless us as your people. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.